little bouncer slowly toward Bryant. He will glove it and throw to Rizzo. It's in time. And the Chicago Cubs win the World Series. I remember running home from school. Turning on the TV to the Cubs game Sitting with my dad to watch his heroes Welcome to the World Series Dreaming Chicago Cubs Dreamcast. Not affiliated with the actual Chicago Cubs, but just a bunch of guys who love the local nine and enjoy talking baseball and, of course, the defending World Series champion Cubs. Hi, I'm Ken. Uh, you might know me as Rice Cube on the Twitter. And we have with us a special guest. This is Mr. Justin McGuire, who currently writes for Fansided. He has an awesome podcast, and he was the former baseball editor for Sporting News. How are you doing, Justin? I'm well. How are you doing today, Ken? I'm all right. Uh, I, You know, just from our interactions on Twitter and whatnot, I know that you are a North Carolina resident, which is kind of cool because I actually went to school in North Carolina for a bit. Uh, one of my best friends went to North Carolina for medical school, and uh, I I don't know if this makes you think any less of me, but I actually went to Duke for graduate school for a couple of years before. You know, I, knew, I knew where you were headed with that. <laughs> I have to say at this point, I have to I have to pull out of the podcast. I can't know a good time. As, yeah. as a UNC guy, I can't. I can't talk to you. Sorry. Now that's that's cool. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. It's how how'd you like it down here? I actually, uh, to be perfectly honest, I enjoyed my time there. I liked it in Durham. Uh, that's where I lived because Duke, of course, is in Durham. Uh, we were there around the time that the Hurricanes went to the Stanley Cup Finals for the first time, and that was a great time. Uh, Duke won the uh, national championship while I was there with Shane Battier and stuff. So. I'm sorry, that doesn't sound familiar to me at all. <laughs> but uh, to be honest, I enjoyed Chapel Hill a lot better than Durham. Like, there we you go. Know, Durham had the Bulls and everything, but uh, – when I think of my memories, I enjoy Chapel Hill heck of a lot more because there was just so much more to do. The people there were super nice, and you know, I, I don't have any actual allegiances, but I, I thought I'd just throw that out there just so if you don't want to associate with me in the future, I totally understand. But uh, no, you said you said all the right things about Chapel Hill. <laughs> so we'll be, um, I, I should mention too that you might be interested in this. I have. Um, a podcast dropping on Thursday that's a, about a book called No Bull, the real story of the rebirth of a team in a city. That's all about the Durham Bulls and the movie and, the, you know, sort of the revitalization of Durham around the team and all that sort of stuff. So that might be of some interest to you. Yeah. And uh, when I was there, they were the affiliate, and I think they still are for the Tampa Bay Rays. Back then they were the Devil Rays, but now it's Rays. Uh, before then, when Bull Durham was – was a movie and all, all that. Who, which affiliate were they were? They uh, were um, the single high A, single A affiliate of the Braves oh, from, okay. ni- from 1982, I guess 97 when they um, was their last year, and then they went to the the Rays in 98, I believe. Yeah, and now they're the Triple A affiliate for the Rays. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's when we knew more about them, and uh, it, it was just a really nice stadium. Like we saw the old Durham Bulls stadium, uh, and I guess you would call it downtown Durham, like Durham 
is just kind of there. But uh, right, right. It, it's, it's not as uh, well put together as Chapel Hill. I, I just, from my memory, it might be way different because I haven't been back to North Carolina in almost 10 years now, uh, actually over 10 years. But uh, the new ballpark was spectacular. It was, you, you didn't even know that it was a minor league ballpark because the experience was so nice. It is. It's very nice. I was just there um, a couple of weeks ago. I actually live in the other part of the state. I'm in the mountains near Asheville, but um, my brother lives in Cary, so I was there in April, I guess it was. And yeah, it's still it's still a great stadium. Still a great, great stadium experience. Mm-hmm. And I, I used to go with my friend who, uh, interestingly, was a St. Louis Cardinals fan, so he didn't like me very much in terms of baseball fandom, but. Uh, yeah, and Carrie, there was an ice house and an ice uh, skating rink that we used to play pickup ice hockey at. And, you know, it was, it was just so much fun in North Carolina. And it's kind of unfortunate with the political climate because it really is a wonderful state to live in. Well, we have a, a governor who's trying to right things a little bit. But, yeah, the legislature is still a bit of a mess. And <laughs> it's going to continue to be for a while, I'm, I'm afraid. Yep. And, you know, this is the part where people will tell us to stick to sports. So let's try to do that. Uh, we have a few topics. Well, on... I, I just said, let me just add, when people tell no. me to stick to sports, I say, when you're writing my paycheck, you can tell me what to stick to. Otherwise, I'll, I'll talk about <laughs> what I want to talk about. Yeah. Unfortunately, we don't get paid. We uh, actually do this for free like I do this as a hobby. Yep. So Me, me too. <laughs> yep. But, uh, you know, we I, I am not afraid to say my opinion. I just have to figure out who my audience is at this time and uh, on twitter i will definitely tell people what i think but uh on this podcast we'll try to stick to sports but i i think most people who know me know where my allegiances lie so we'll we'll, we'll leave it at that (laughs) and if anybody follows me on twitter they're not going to be surprised by any of my opinions either i'll put you that way so yep so yeah we have a little get bit of game plan i love this plan i'm excited to be a part of it let's do it Spring gave away to summer Past the ivy-colored dreams Toward the days that kept us Yearning for tomorrows First of all, like uh, I think only five teams in the National League are at 500 or above, and that kind of includes the Cubs. Uh, why is the National League so bad? That's where we could start. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a real interesting question. I was looking at the standings um, today, just kind of trying to anticipate this question. Um, I think a lot of it is, you know, some of the teams, there's just a lot of disappointing teams so far. The Mets, obviously, I think people expected them to be better. They've been a, a train wreck in terms of injuries and all the, you know, the the drama that's going on around them. The Giants have been significantly worse than anybody anticipated. And the Cardinals probably are worse than anybody anticipated. The Cubs have been... Um, as you know, not not what they were last year. Um, right. Yeah, I, I still think I'm still confident that they're going to end up being a really good team by the end of the year. But right now, yeah, you, you, it, all the good teams are in the West, you know? and it's yeah. it's very odd because nobody expected the Diamondbacks and and um, uh, Rockies to be as good as they are. But both have been excellent so far, and I'm start I'm starting to think the Rockies are for real. I was kind of a doubter for a long time, but I'm I'm starting to believe in them. Yeah, um, yeah I think mm-hmm. there's just a lot of just a lot of parody and i think it's you know a lot of the teams that we expected to be good aren't aren't as good and i don't know i don't have a great explanation for it except that you know injuries and just people not playing up to expectations i guess 
Yeah, and then you look in the AL, like you are, of course, an Orioles fan. Orioles are at 500. Right now they'd be like the sixth best team in the NL. So uh, at the unfortunate situation where you have to compete with the Yankees and Red Sox on a regular basis and the Rays are surprisingly not bad again. So that's another thing that you all have to deal with. So normally when I think about this, like the American League usually has better pitching and they have another spot with a DH for a slugger. So, you know, in recent times it has seemed that aside from like, say, David Ortiz and Nelson Cruz, the DH spot really doesn't matter that much. But because they have to deal with an extra hitter and not the lowly pitcher, they naturally have to build better pitching staffs. And I'm not sure if that's the case or not. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think that there's probably some truth to that. Um, I, I think the American League has done a really good job on build, building bullpens, for instance. I think, you know, the the Rays were, were kind of ahead of that game. The Orioles have been really good in recent years. Uh, and I think that's part of it is that they, they starters can't last as long just because you have a – you are facing teams with with an, that extra hitter, so I think there's been a focus on building bullpens and you know getting guys. Andrew Miller, I don't think it's a coincidence that he he's done what he's done in the American League. Um, so yeah, I definitely think there's 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 some truth to that. Um, and the East, yeah, the AL East is, is really interesting because it's like nobody is great and nobody's terrible in that in that division so far. Um, I think the Orioles ultimately are going to be terrible. <laughs> And I think they're they're trending that way, but but so far they've managed to at least tread water. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were talking earlier and joking, and I don't think you necessarily hate me or Cubs fans, but uh, what did you think back then of the Jake Arrieta trade that everybody trolls the Orioles fan base about? Well, what what I thought about it at the time, I'll be honest with you, I was relieved because he was he's, he had been terrible mm-hmm. for the Orioles, and they got rid of Pedro Strope, who had also been terrible. And they were picking up a pitcher, you know, seemed like the, you know, he seemed like the kind of pitcher the Orioles have done well with. They pick up these guys who nobody expects much from and they had, you know, and they do okay for them. And that sort of was their MO for a long time. So when it happened, I was, I thought it was a great idea. Get rid of, get rid of two guys who aren't producing, bring in somebody who might be able to help a bit. Obviously it hasn't worked out that way, but, but I, I won't, I won't lie and say that I knew at the time it was going to be a disaster. Yeah, that's basically what we all thought because it seemed like, hey, these are two interesting arms that have good stuff and they haven't performed too well in the Orioles system. But uh, then they just kind of transformed. I guess it was one of those tra- change of scenery and uh, developmental things. Yeah, and there's well, yeah, there's also this thing with with the Arietta where the Orioles don't want people throwing a cutter. They, you know, they don't want to. That's been a, a organizational philosophy. And so they didn't want him throwing the cutter, and then he got to the Cubs, and they started. He started throwing it. And to defend the Orioles just a bit, they um, the reason they didn't want people throwing cutters is they think that it, it you know hurts your velocity in the long term. And if you see what's happened with Arietta this year, maybe they're right. You know, there may be something to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I can't say I'm certainly no expert on the technical aspects of pitching, but um, you know he has reverted to a certain extent uh, back to the pitcher he was with the Orioles. Now I I think it's probably temporary. I think he's going to be okay, but uh, it is interesting to see what's happened with him after he has you know used the cutter for several years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a very interesting point. I hadn't thought of that, and I think uh, he's actually gone more slider curveball lately. And I have to check Brooks and you know. Uh, baseball savant and all that that kind of thing. Maybe I should ask Harry about this too. But, uh, yeah, it, it seems like he's gotten away from the cutter a little bit now that uh, 
he, he he's gotten into a little bit of trouble with uh, command and velocity and yes yeah. Let me ask you this: uh, I, I haven't kept track of the Orioles system, but are, you guys are still run by Dan Duquette, right? That's right. Yeah, Duquette yeah. is still the, he's he's the GM, although his title is something like Vice President of Baseball Operations. There's there's no actual GM, but he fulfills the GM role. Yeah, but he's obviously a very very intelligent fellow. Like he ran the Red Sox before Theo took over, if I remember correctly. That's right. And you know, you guys have a lot of very interesting pitching, like you know Dylan Bundy and Kevin Gaussman, and like it, it just seems that something isn't clicking. Like, uh, you know, was Ubaldo Jimenez, for example, a trade or a free agent signing? Uh, yeah, that was that was a free agent signing. Yeah, basically done in desperation. It was late, just late in the um, get near spring training. Spring training may have already begun, actually. And they needed, um, they just needed another pitcher, and he was about the only one left. And they they overpaid for him, gave him a four year deal. And I think even at the time, most people realized it was probably not going to work out. So I don't really blame that one on the Orioles too much. I mean, on their developmental system anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, Gossman is, is extremely frustrating for me because he he showed signs last year and early this year of being the pitcher everyone thought he was going to be, and and now we're we're back in you know Jake Arrieta with the Orioles territory, you know, where he just can't do anything right. And, you know, I, I have this sick feeling they're going to give up on him and he, he's going to go somewhere else and become a Cy Young later. Um, yeah, I don't know what's going on with the pitching development in the organization, but it's clearly been an issue. I mean, Bundy has been pretty good this year, and I've got my fingers crossed about him that he's going to ultimately be a pretty good pitcher. But, you know, the Orioles haven't produced a true top-of-the-rotation ace, you know, kind of guy since Mike Messina in the early 90s. Uh, or unless you count Arietta, who they produce for somebody else, you know, but they haven't produced somebody who actually pitched for the Orioles in, you know, 25 years. And so there's some, there's got to be something going on. And I think it goes beyond Dan Duquette because, you know, it's been true under several different administrations. And I'm not sure what the, I'm not sure what the problem is. I wish I did. Yeah. So it, it sounds like almost they don't need to change the GM. They need to change maybe a developmental philosophy. Yeah, I think I think so. I think there's something there that's just not working right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, whenever I look at pictures of the Baltimore Orioles playing in their home park, it's absolutely beautiful. Like my friend who is a graduate student at the University of Wisconsin, we went to college together at, at Cal Berkeley. Uh, he's an Orioles fan, and he's shown me a lot, all kinds of pictures. Like, obviously, you have a really – strong fan base it's just that the park doesn't always look well attended do, do you find it offensive? That's, that's a kind way of putting it <laughs> yeah do you find it offensive to sit like show this attendance shaming like say the rays they were good for a long time but nobody can get to the ballpark so that, of course nobody's going to go to the games and then you have our own hometown white Sox who have a pretty nice stadium it's kind of stale but it is actually nice if you go inside it the facilities are nice the team you know for the most part it, it can be mediocre to solid so it's it's not like they have a horrible team to root for but nobody seems to go to the game so you find attendance shaming to be just one of those things where maybe we shouldn't do it because there yeah, are so many a, other factors involved yeah i'm, I'm not a fan of attendance shaming because you know the way I like it is nobody is under any obligation to go to a baseball game, right? right? So it's like, who am I to say? I mean, if I'm sitting at home, who am I to say? Oh, how come people aren't people at the game? You know, how come there aren't more people? I'm not at the game, so who who am I to judge? Um, you know, having said that, I wish the Orioles get better attendance. I wish that they, 
you know, this last this last five years when they've been pretty much, you know, competitive for, for five straight years. They've made the playoffs three times and, you know, two other years in which they were, you know, at least contenders into August. Um, you know, it, it seems like they should be draw better than they do, particularly, you know, these weeknight games. But I don't know. I think people, you know, Baltimore has become very much a Ravens town, you know, very much a football town. The interest level on the Orioles doesn't seem to be there. Um, and I'm not sure what's going to turn that around. I mean, I guess if they put, you know, if they went on a run where they won the World Series, you know, two out of three years or something, maybe that would help. But I mean, being a contender hasn't done much to help, you know, and you look back and I think part of it is they had that that long run from 1998 to 2011 in which they were never above 500. They were never competitive. They had they, they filled a lot of terrible teams and that are, you know, really hurt the fan base, I think. And and that brought back, you know, especially some of the younger fans who who maybe would have become Orioles fans in that era, just kind of skipped over it. Um, and you know, at the same time, the Ravens were winning Super Bowls, and it's it's made it tough. And it's yeah, it's I'm not sure what the secret is, but that yeah, it certainly are, they don't they don't draw like they should with that ballpark. Through the good times and the bad times, we stood beside you every day. Kind of glad you talked about trying to draw young fans into the game because I see a guy like, say, Manny Machado, and he's so much fun to watch. He does some crazy things like the the play a couple of days ago. Uh, yeah. Where, he's, where he, he's, he's like nearly in the front row of the, of the of the third base dugout seats, right? And then he is able to throw a ball in the air to get the guy at first. And he does a lot of great things. I don't think we want to stifle anything like that because that's what draws me in. And I'm not young anymore. I don't think I'm necessarily old, but I'm definitely not young. And it's something that will actually draw a younger person into the game. They're saying, oh, my gosh, there's this really dynamic young fellow who is actually really, really good at baseball. I want to be well, just like him. Let's hit him with a pitch. <laughs> right. Let's make him stop being, having fun playing baseball. Yeah. What did um, you think about that with the, with the Red Sox, though? Like, well, I, yeah. Specifically, that whole that whole incident was ridiculous. Um, it, it started with a, a slide into Petroya, into Pedroia, um, where he slid hard and and um, ended up spiking him in the you know in the calf, and he missed a couple of days. But you know, Pedroia himself was very adamant in saying, I, "I don't think it was intentional. I'm fine. Manny and I are fine. I got no problem with it. It was just it was clean baseball. It was his teammates and then the fans who started getting all up in arms about it." And of course, they ended up being being you know hitting him a couple of times, and it's just it's just a ridiculous situation. I mean, first of all, I don't think you should be retaliating anyway because I think it's really dangerous and stupid. But there was nothing to retaliate for in that case. And part of it is that his you know he 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 built a reputation primarily on the one incident a few years ago with the A's where he kind of threw the bat in the general direction of Josh Donaldson after they had had a few scrapes earlier in the series, and I think. Since then, his reputation has been as kind of a hothead. But really, I mean, most of the things that he's involved with aren't really his fault. He got drilled by uh, um, Ventura last year. Rest, may he rest in peace. And it was it was entirely his doing. Even the Royals didn't take his side. Um, so I think it's 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 unfortunate that that one incident three years ago has has haunted him. But but yeah, I mean, he's an exciting, dynamic young player. You know, and baseball should be. The, the players like that and like Bryce Harper, we should be celebrating them and not having these these old guys 
um, just telling them to play the game the right way. Cause you know, people want to see excitement. And, and I think that's, that's going to be a, a problem if we keep hitting everybody with a baseball every time they show any excitement. Right. And you know, these segues kind of write themselves because you mentioned Bryce Harper and playing the game the right way. If I can hit like a, a baseball into the second deck, you know, once every 15 at bats, you're playing the game the right way. If you're running the bases well and you are playing great defense, yeah, you're playing the game the right way. So what is the right way? The right way to me is can I, without being too much of an a-hole and, you know, hurting other other players within the context of the rules, can I score more runs than the other team at the end of nine innings? And that, to me, is the right way. And when you mentioned the three years thing, that's part of the reason why Bryce Harper got plumped. And then they had this really stupid kerfuffle where Harper was suspended way more than I think he should have. And Hunter Strickland wasn't suspended long enough. And that goes into Manny Machado again, because he's saying, you know, there's nothing I can do if I don't you know, try to retaliate, then the pitchers are going to get carte blanche to throw at me because they know that they're only going to get miss one or two starts or maybe three relief appearances, whereas I have to miss an entire week of games. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it, it's definitely – there needs to be um, stricter punishments for the pitchers, I think, because you know, with five-man rotations, um, you know, a, a four-game suspension or a five-game suspension for a pitcher really isn't anything. You can – you know, you can – restructure your, your your rotation so that the guy doesn't even miss a start, really. Um, and in the bullpen, you know, a couple of games isn't, isn't that much for a, a guy who might only pitch, a, a, you know, to a batter to a game. Anyway, but, yeah, but somebody like Manny Machado, he's a impact player on both ends of the field for the Orioles as a, as a hitter and as a, as a defensive player. And they're missing that, you know, full nine innings of him for, what you know, four straight games, five straight games, whatever it ends up being. And, yeah, I absolutely, I absolutely think pitchers need to be – held to account because let's face it pitchers throwing at guys is 95 percent of the problem you know it almost all um, comes from that indeed and uh it's interesting too because we have a relatively subjective umpire warning system in my opinion like last night on sunday night baseball the red sox were in houston and i forgot which reliever it was but he obviously didn't have good command and he hit uh i think was it Mookie Betts and then uh, Dustin Pedroia on consecutive at-bats? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, and they were kind of angry about it, but I don't think he did it intentionally. There's there's no way, given the context of the situation, because Houston was down by one, and why are you putting more men on base? And- yeah, I mean, it certainly seemed, you know, I'm an Orioles fan, so I'm certainly not um, objective here, but the Red Sox do seem to be in the middle of a lot of these things that take, where they take offense at what the other team does. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. And then there there was a lot of talk on Twitter about how, well, the umpire just warned both teams after Houston was the one that got to plunk two guys. So now the Red Sox can't plunk anybody or else they're automatically ejected. And so is their manager. So, like, how do you write a rule to allow for the proper protection of batters in the box and for the pitchers to also be able to pitch inside, but understand that sometimes the ball does get away, and that's through no fault of anybody. It's just what baseball is. You know, if I had the answer to that, (laughs) I don't, I don't, you know, it's a good question, but I don't think there's a good answer to it. Um, And that's, that's, I think, kind of the root of the problem is that, there is no, you know, these teams want to feel a sense of justice, 
and but it becomes a never-ending thing because each team feels like they're being wronged every time something happens. So it becomes this never-ending cycle. And then it's like you say, it's kind of it's kind of almost random when the warning comes. So whichever team got the last the last lick in, they they kind of win when, once the warning comes into effect. So um, and I'm not sure. I wish I had a good answer for that, but I don't really ha- I don't really know what you would do. Yeah, it's unfortunate, and I hope that uh, MLB and the players' union figure out something this off season because I think hopefully we never see it, and I'm totally wrong about this, but we haven't seen anybody being somebody over the head since probably Juan Marichal did it. But uh, I, I almost feel like some, some of these hitters are going to get super angry and there's going to be a lot of damage done before, and I'd like to see MLB do something preemptive about it before that actually does happen. Yeah, I'm with you. I think um, the you know, some of the fist fights we've seen like last year and with the Rangers and Blue Jays and that kind of thing, that's kind of, that's really what, what, what you end up seeing when, when the both teams feel like they're not, you know, they're not getting any justice. It boils into a situation like that where it's just kind of a free for all. And, you know, fortunately there haven't been any major, major injuries out of that sort of thing, but, but it, it doesn't take much imagination to think that it could happen. You know, with, when somebody punching somebody else, it could, it could do some serious damage. The beauty and the history in this cathedral. The sky so blue against the grass so green Like time stood still forever Let's uh, take a segue because I know uh, on Fansided you've been doing their weekly rumors roundups and uh, as a Cubs fan I'm very interested in this because we know that the front office has always tried to acquire good pitching, and they did that last uh, year at the deadline with the Rollers Chapman and Mike Montgomery. They also did it in the previous deadline, although not as you know uh, blockbustery with uh, Dan Heron and Tommy Hunter. This year, you know, we kind of see the Cubs scuffling a little bit. The rotation is not as good as it was last year when basically it's kind of unfair to compare any team to last year's team because they just did so well. But uh, we definitely know that the Cubs need some boost with their pitching, and I was wondering if you had any inklings on who the more realistic trade targets are. Well, I think they – I think, you know, any, any names that you've seen as, start, you know, top of the rotation kind of guys who might be on the market, those are the guys I think they'll probably try to go after. You know, Chris Archer, they've already been um, tied to him. Sonny Gray, I think there's a possibility they might go after him. Um, and another one that I think is really interesting is Garrett Cole, hmm. because um, he, he very well could be on the market. And it would be interesting to see whether the Pirates would actually be willing to trade him within the division. Um, I kind of think they might not be willing to unless the price was right, because um, I think they feel like with their young core and a good and a pretty good um, farm system that they might be back in contending within a year or two. So if they do get rid of Cole, they're not going to necessarily want to send him to the to Cubs. Um, but Chris Archer is a fascinating one because he's they, there's been talks already apparently, and he's um, what makes him uh, a good target. I think is he's under contract through 2021 at a very reasonable rate. And as you mentioned, the the Cubs are looking to fulfill um, rotation spots not just this year but for the next few years with Arietta um, and I think Lackey are both free agents. And I don't think they're confident about resigning either of them. So to bring in a young, effective pitcher like like Archer, who's on a contract for seven more years, would make a whole lot of sense for that. Right. And I think uh, 
based on what Passan, Jeff Passan said, they would probably require an Eloy Jimenez, which, again, like last year when they traded Gleyber Torres plus to get Aroldis Chapman, that would be super painful for us who are like prospect towns. But then again, you know, Eloy is several years away from it, uh, from making an impact on the major league stage. So it, yeah, it's, I mean, a, it's a for now kind of trade. Yeah, I mean, if they're gonna if they're gonna get somebody of that caliber, they're gonna have to give up something, you know, some quality prospects. But the um, you know, the thing that you got to contend with is other teams that are looking for pitching include the uh, the Yankees, the Astros, the Dodgers. So these are teams with good farm systems, uh, motivation to win now. So you're you know, if you're going after Chris Archer, you're not gonna be the only team going after him. So. It's gonna, you're right. It's gonna take a, a, your top prospect most likely to get somebody that good. So the question is whether you're willing to to deal with that, um, given that you know your the window is now. You you know you want to get a guy in place for the next few years. And I think for somebody like Chris Archer, I think I probably would be willing to pull the trigger on that because he's good enough, he's young enough, and he's got enough team control that um, you know you're not just talking about a rental here. You're talking about a guy who could be your ace for several years. Yeah, I think the only problem with that is I'm just looking at the standings and Tampa Bay is, I, I think they have a wild card spot right now and they're not going to punt at this time, not in uh, mid June. <laughs> so, uh, so that's the Rays. They they uh, they will punt. I promise you. Okay. Uh, I, 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 that's the thing. It's like they're they're the one team out there that I think you can count almost count on them doing a deal like that, no matter what the standings are. Um, because particularly because I mean, being a game out of the wild card or being in the wild card right now doesn't mean a whole lot. It's a it, really it deep wild card right. at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've got you know they've got four other teams in their division who potentially could be better than them. Um, not to mention you know in the other divisions, I don't see the Rays being a team ultimately to make the playoffs. Um, now maybe the management has has a different view on it now than they have the last few years, but you know how that goes with them when they get they get these pitchers. Um, have a couple of years left in their contract, they deal with them. They, they deal with them. It's, it's just seems to be how they do it. So yeah. I, I, I'd be, I wouldn't be surprised if they deal. I'll put you that way. Okay. So yeah, the, the reason I thought that at this particular time is because of the fact that they are basically one of the wild card leaders. Now at the same time, uh, I concede what you say. I don't think that they're going to be able to hold that position much longer because I don't think Toronto is as bad as they've been playing. I don't think Baltimore is as bad as they're playing. So I, I think there's a lot of truth to what you said. That being said, when I take a look at the standings, like every single team in the American League right now is within four and a half games of, of a wild card spot. Right. And I feel like there's going to be a bit – I'm actually not sure. Like – on the surface, it seems like there's going to be a buyer's market and where the National League is going to be the ones who are selling because we started talking about why the NL is so bad. And, you know, it's basically Washington, the three AL – or I'm sorry, NL West teams and whoever wins the NL Central, hopefully the Cubs. And then everybody else is going to basically, you know, sell and try to get into a good, good positioning for the draft next year. So there's going to be like 10 teams selling to another 10 teams who are buying, and it, there's going to be so much competition that I'm not entirely sure, you know, who's actually available and who's actually buying, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, that stuff will sort itself out to some degree. I mean, we're still, what, June, what, 
June, June 19th, 19th yep. today. So, you know, we still got well over a month until the trade deadline. I think you look a month from today, you know, on July 19th, July 20th, that's going to tell us a lot more about who's trading and who's not. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that second wild card is just such a, such fool's gold to me. And it, it makes all these teams think that they're contenders when they're really not. Um, and I don't th- I don't think the Rays tend to fall for it. But but who knows? I mean, maybe if they play really well and it, we're a month from now and they're, you know, they're, they they hold a wild card spot by three games. Maybe they don't they decide not to sell. But I think if they just sort of fumble along here about 500 or something, I, I can't see them. I can't see them not at least entertaining offers. Yeah. Considering and, how much, considering how many teams are going to be after him and what they think they can get back for, I think they can get back a real haul for some, for for uh, Chris Archer. Yeah, and I'm thinking of also the way the Cubs have operated over the past few uh, trade deadlines. They actually started trades like way before the trade deadline. They jumped the market to get Addison Russell from the A's for just right. margin. Jason Hamill, I think they jumped the market last year to grab a Mike Montgomery for Dan Vogelbach, and then the Arola Stratman one didn't happen until later on. But it's kind of exciting to hear somebody else think of the Rays as, you know, a smart enough team that they know, well, we're probably not going to contend. We'll, we'll kind of move along and see what happens, but we're most likely going to sell. And so there's a situation where the Cubs could potentially give them an offer they can't refuse in mid-June and grab a Chris Archer and maybe Odorizzi or Alex Cobb or somebody. Yeah, I mean, I think that that certainly has been the raise MO the last several years. And I'd personally be surprised to see them vary from that. But again, I guess it depends on what happens over the next you know month or so. And if they suddenly get on a hot streak, maybe all bets are off. But I, I can't, if they just sort of tread water until till then, I, I suspect that Archer will be available. So let's, let's play a game. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about contenders and pretenders here. Do you think the Yankees are going to win the AL East this year? Mm, I will say no. Okay. Because I, I, you want me to I elaborate? Can, you can. Uh, well, let I me tell you my thoughts first. Uh, I think the Red Sox aren't as bad as they've played, and I think they will eventually, like they're in a virtual tie with the Yankees right now, I think they will eventually overtake them, but I think the Yankees will still make the postseason based on the number of wins they've, they've banked so far. Yeah, that, that's about where I am. I think the um, Yankees have probably overperformed a little bit, and the Red Sox have underperformed. And I ultimately think the Red Sox right now are are the better team um, going forward. So I think the Red Sox will end up winning the division, but I agree the Yankees will get one of those wild card spots, and they'll probably make it close. I don't think the Red Sox will run away with it, and, and I wouldn't be surprised again the Blue Jays to get into the mix too. I mean, they they hurt themselves with that horrible start, but you know right now they're not so far off the wild card spot. So all it would take is a good second half for them to be right in it. But yeah, I think the I think the Yankees make the postseason, but the Red Sox win the division. That's my gut right now. Okay, and with so many teams so close to the division lead, do you think Cleveland just like decides, oh yeah, we kind of made the World Series last year and we got a good team. Maybe we should blow this division out by like twenty games at some yeah, point I, soon. I don't know about twenty, but I think they will probably win the division fairly easily because I just don't think anybody else in that division is good. You know. Um, and, and I think that I, I sort of feel the same way about them. I do about the Cubs, which is I feel like they 
they've kind of, you know, putzed it around for a while, but, you know, ultimately they're the best, they're by far the best teams in their division. And when push comes to shove, they're going to, they're going to take control of it and win it fairly easily. Yeah. That, that's kind of my feeling. Okay. And I'm pretty sure like you'll agree with me that Houston looks like they're the real deal. So I don't think they're going to be threatened at all in that division. No, I mean, they're the real deal. I nobody else in that division is particularly good. So yeah, I think they win it easily. Okay. And that, brings me to Texas, which is obviously they, they have some pitching, especially you Darvish, who's going to be a free agent after this year. Who do you think uh, goes after you Darvish since he's most likely going to be a rental kind of guy anyway? Yeah, I guess the question is, do the do the Rangers, do they sell or do they think they've got a shot at the wild card? I, I've read varying, various things on that, that I think some people think they may hold on to him with the hopes that maybe they can you know, sneak into a wild card spot. Um, but if he's available, I think it's the same teams we've talked about already. The Yankees, the Dodgers, the Cubs, the Astros, those are the teams looking for starting pitching. And those are the teams that have the prospects to get it done. So I, I think he'd probably go to one of those teams. Again, maybe they, maybe they're hesitant to trade him to the Astros within their vision, which may be an advantage for the other teams. But yeah, I, I would suspect all those teams going after him. Mm-hmm. And let's go to the National League now. I think Washington is probably okay with their starting pitching. Like, obviously, got Scherzer and Gio, uh, Gio Gonzalez and and Strasburg, but their bullpen has been blowing a lot of leads. Uh, are there any bullpen arms out there just in case, like, any, uh, the, like the Cubs front office size, maybe we need an extra arm uh, that you think they would have to compete with Washington for? Yeah, probably um, David Robertson is probably going to be the, the biggest reliever on the market. Um, you know, he's the proven closer, quotes, you know, the guy who you know, has a lot of saves and has been in that closer role a lot. Um, you know, I don't think he's particularly good. To be, I mean, he's, he's, he's okay. I don't think he's anything special, to be honest. But the White Sox are, are want to move him. They've wanted to move him since the offseason. So of all the players who might get traded, I think he is probably – probably the single most likely, maybe he, him or J.D. Martinez are the most likely players to get traded at the at the uh, deadline. And, and, you know, you would think that you would think the Nationals are the, are going to be in front of the line for him. But, um, you know, you never know. If there's other teams that look to shore up their bullpen a bit, that you could see them, you know, coming in for him. Um, because even if he's not your closer, you, you could see him in, in, you know, having an eighth inning role or something like that for you um, where he, he probably can be pretty effective. We can probably talk about the AL or I'm sorry, the NL West a little more. Do you think the three teams in front right now are legitimate in the Diamondbacks, the Rockies, and the Dodgers? Well, I thought the Dodgers were legitimate all along. Um, you know, obviously they've got the track record. Um, their run differential is really good. I, mean, I think they're good. Um, and the Rockies, I just recently came around to believing in them because at this point, you know, they're 20 games above 500 for the All-Star break. Even if they, even if they aren't quite as good as this, they could still easily make the postseason just by being a 500 team the rest of the way, you know? Um, so yeah, so I, and they certainly have a lot of, of talent on that team. So, so I do believe in that. The Diamondbacks, I'm a little bit less buying into, but again, their record is so good and the rest of that league seems so weak that they still are probably in a pretty good position. And they have Paul Goldschmidt, who I love. Oh, yeah. Everybody seems to be very big on Paul Goldschmidt, and it's uh, too bad that I, I think Pollock is still hurt. And uh, they don't ha- seem to have a lot of depth behind, the, uh, you know, the 
the big stars on that team. No, no, I agree with that. Yeah, and with Colorado, I was uh, very surprised. Well, you know, I guess I shouldn't be surprised because the Cubs have been playing so poorly, but I wasn't surprised so much with the offense as they're pitching because they've got a bunch of young pitchers who are just making other teams look silly, and you normally don't see that with a Colorado-based team. Yeah, and I saw some I, – I don't know the exact statistic, but I saw somebody tweeted, um, you know, Rockies rookie pitchers have a record of such and such with an ERA such and such, and every other, you know, all other rookies have the, you know, ERA of five something. So it's like their rookies, rookie pitchers are just vastly outperforming other rookies out there. Um, so I guess the question becomes how sustainable is that? Um, you know, I, I don't know that it is ultimately, but again, they, they've booked so many wins at this point. Maybe it doesn't matter so much down the stretch and they get into the postseason and then, you know, you don't need five great pitchers. You just get a couple of good ones and a good bullpen and that offense and they could be in good shape. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm looking at the NL Central, which I kind of care about because, of course, I'm a Cubs fan and I, I don't particularly hate the Brewers, but I also don't want them to win the division either. So I'm seeing that. At some point, their pitching is going to falter. Like, uh, you know, Ryan Brown is still hurt. Uh, I th- feel like a lot of those guys are going to come back down to earth at some point, and the Cubs are going to remember, oh, yeah, we kind of won the World Series last year, so maybe we should play like it. And, uh, yeah, I- I'm kind of glad that you made me feel good about the Rays potentially punting so that Chris Archer's trade rumor isn't necessarily – you know, a pipe dream. Uh, I feel like it could be realistic, especially since uh, we kind of know what a Chris Archer can bring to the table. Yeah, I think it's 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 very realistic. You know, the, big, the big question then becomes, you know, do those other teams come in and offer more? You know, that's that's what you got to be worried about more than anything, I think. Yeah, and right now, after basically depleting the farm system for the past couple of. Uh, trade deadlines a little bit. I don't know uh, through basically trades and also graduating a lot of the top prospects. The club's farm system is still deep, but it's not as good as it used to be. So now I'm kind of afraid that other systems like, you know, the Dodgers have some very interesting prospects. Washington, of course, has extremely interesting prospects. And and, and then, of course, you have the AL teams who are, you know, they – they might not be playing that well on the surface at the major league level, but they also have a lot of talent bubbling down in the minor leagues. And so I'm kind of afraid of that. So like, you know, who is going to outbid the Cubs? And then we are going to basically hope that the front office knows what they're doing and promoting the right prospects from within the system. And also that uh, the guys like, you know, uh, Jason Hayward comes back from his little hand injury, which probably isn't too bad, but it looks scary. Uh, Kyle Schwarber remembers that he should be able to hit, and the other rookies or second-year players uh, hit like we know that they are capable of. Yeah, well, one thing you don't need to worry about, I don't think, is whether the front office knows what it's doing, because I think (laughs) they've established that they do. Um, So, yeah, I think, you know, ultimately I think the Cubs are going to be fine, but – yeah, it's it's going to be a really interesting trade deadline because there's some interesting pitchers out there and there's some big name teams that are interested in them who have good farm systems. So there, there's going to be some bidding wars, I believe. Yeah, and uh, it'd be kind of cool, like if I could get you back on much closer to the trade deadline and we'll discuss more concrete rumors. I guess 
you can't really call a rumor concrete, but some of them obviously have more teeth than others. Right, and the closer you get to the deadline, I think the more you're starting to hear ones that are realistic and that might actually happen. Um, because like right now, it's like, well, you know, Garrett Cole, maybe he'll be available, and if so, there's here's six teams that want it. You know, it's kind of it's kind of fantasy land at this point. But at the closer we get, we have a better idea of who's buying, who's selling, who's available. Um, and, and who they might be willing to give up. So, yeah, it becomes more concrete for sure. Okay. And, you know, just as a thank you for coming on to our podcast, sir, I want to give you a few minutes to basically pimp your own podcast and your interview with David Kaplan about his book. Yeah, I, I have a podcast that I started in um, November after I, I lost my job with the sporting news. Um, it's called Baseball by the Book. And um, every episode I interview um, an author about the, a baseball book. And I, I started out with um, a lot of, you know, older books, things that have been around for a few years. In recent, you know, last month or so, I've been doing almost entirely newer books just because there's so many that come out this time of year. Um, and I've had a lot of authors who are interested in coming on. But an interview I did today was with David Kaplan from CSN Chicago, who I'm sure most of your listeners are familiar with. Um and he wrote a book called The Plan, Epstein, Madden, and the Audacious Blueprint for a Cubs Dynasty. So I interviewed him today about that book, which takes a long-term view of the Cubs um, rebuild, going back to when Ricketts bought the team and um, kind of all the way through the 2016 World Series. So that will be coming out next week, and that will be something I think of interest to your, to your listeners. Um, another one that's actually – I interviewed Scott Simon from NPR who wrote a book called um, – um, the, the uh, My Cubs, A Love Story, um, which is about his um, growing up as a Cubs fan and his, you know, his his love for the team um, and some crazy connections he had with the team. Like, for instance, his godfather was Jack Brickhouse. Wow. Um, his uncle by marriage was um, Charlie Grimm, who was the last Cubs manager to go to the World Series before Joe Madden. So he grew up with all these kind of crazy connections to the team. And, and so he, he wrote a, a really interesting interview with him about his fandom. So kind of two different sides of it, one about being a fan, one about the process of building the team. But I think they'd both be of interest to, to your listeners. Indeed. And the other thing that I wanted to thank you with, and uh, I sent you a several pictures of bobbleheads, and your son had chosen the Starling Castro Tennessee Smokies bobblehead, so I will be sending it to you within the week. Okay, I look forward to it. Yeah, my son collects bobbleheads, so I, I showed him the pictures and gave him the option, and I think he liked that one because it was a minor league uniform, and so it was just a little bit different, so I think he thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, the Smokies tend to have really nice uniforms, and in fact, all the Cubs affiliates seem to have really pretty uniforms, like you see them on UniWatch and and whatnot. But uh, I, I think the Cubs have some of the more aesthetically pleasing uniforms. I do like the Orioles uh, alternate black uniform with the orange bird, so that mm -hmm. that's fun. And I, I don't know if they wear them in games, but I like the the smiling bird a lot uh, on the hat. So. You should, I don't know, maybe write them a letter and say maybe you should use the Smiling Bird more because uh, it's it's. Oh, no, really... that's their, the, the, the Smiling Bird is their primary logo. Oh, the is only, it now? Okay. The only time they don't wear it is uh, Friday Friday night games where they wear the O's, the hat that says O's on it. But, yeah, otherwise they um, on home they have the white-fronted hats with the cartoon bird. And on the road, they have the just the solid black with the orange brims. But yeah, they that's that's their primary logo on their hat. Yeah, that shows how much attention I paid to the <laughs> Orioles because it, you know, when I really really paid attention to AL East, 
uh, back when I started with baseball, I actually like started following the Yankees and Red Sox more so than the Orioles. And so they use the standard bird on, on a bat, you know? Yeah, it's, so it's, well, it's called the, in, in, in Oriole dumb, it's there, there's two different birds. There's the ornithologically correct bird and mm-hmm. there's the cartoon bird. And those are the two that, that have competed, but the cartoon bird ultimately won out because the fans insisted, I think. Yeah, I, I do like that bird very much. Okay, well, thank you so much, uh, Justin. Uh, of course, you can find us on WorldSeriesDreaming.com. Justin's podcast is, again, called? It's called Baseball by the Book. You can find it on Twitter, at BaseballBookPod, and, and I'm on Twitter, at MLB. Okay, and, of course, you can find Justin's work on Fansided. And, uh, yeah, thank you again for coming by. Uh, you, I'll put all the stuff on show notes, including the link to your podcast from from Scott Simon. Okay, yeah, great. My Cubs, a love story, and that was that was a few episodes ago. But yeah, you should be able to find it if you go to the site. Okay, great, and uh, thank you again for showing up for all of us at World Series Dreaming. Thank you for listening, and go Cubs! It was more than just a game.